It's that season of time every weekend we have visitors, don't we? Uh, we have visitors here. Um, Brother Leon, Sister Janine, I hope I don't embarrass you, but can you stand up and introduce yourselves and your family? Eliana, Isaiah? Uh, is Arrow, where is she? She's, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Thank you for coming and fellowshipping with us. It's always encouraging to have like-minded churches come and visit and um, get together and we worship together. Um, why don't we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we are moved when we are reminded of how glorious your son is. The text says in Philippians that he did not hold on to his status as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Oh, that would we be a people like that? To empty ourselves, to submit to the Father by the power of the Spirit. We thank you for this Christ who looked more to the glory of the Father and to the winning of his bride, the redeeming of his bride, and counted it of much more worth than his suffering. Lord, help us to grasp the beauty and the grandeur and the wonder of Christ once again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are continuing in our study of worship, and we are on the second element of worship, which is submission to God. We took a look in the beginning, uh, five weeks ago, of the design of worship, how God has created us with it as the image of God, as his image bearers, that what we say, what we do, how we think, what we think about God, and how we live with one another ought to bring forth the glory of God, to make much of God, to make much of his characteristics, of his holiness, of his beauty. Then we looked at the Worthiness of worship. Why is he worthy to worship? We saw in Isaiah chapter 6 that he is a thrice holy God. Holy, holier, holiest. In the superlative sense. Which made Isaiah himself fall to his knees. We saw the distortion of worship. Which was the replacement of God. Taking things of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And our own self-image. And replace the worship of God with it. We saw the first element of worship, which was remembering. We saw that in, uh, most highlighted in 1 Corinthians 11. But as worship, as, as, as we think about worship, before we talk about music wars, and we talk about whether we should use drums, or piano, or lights, or fog machines, or any of that, before we talk about all these things, we have to come and define what worship is from the scriptures. And first we see that the element of worship always begins with remembering. Remembering what God has done, remembering who God is. Secondly, the second element is submission to God. So as we've, as we've continued in our study, we are looking at biblical worship. And here's our working definition. Worship is the exalting and adoring God the Father. Remember, it's exalting and adoring. It's not just the sense that I am lifting his name up, but who I am lifting up, I love, I adore, I treasure. He is the greatest of all delights like we have sung. Uh, it is worship is exalting and adoring God the Father through the person and work of Christ. That is our access through Jesus Christ. He makes it possible that we could worship God the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And the power of the Spirit by thought, word, and deed as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. In other words, I'll say it again. Worship is exalting and adoring God the Father through the person and work of Christ in the power of the Spirit by thought, word, and deed as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. And worship has three elements. Remembrance, which leads to submission, which leads to service. And you'll see this pattern all through scriptures. Though remembrance is a key element of worship, it's not enough to simply remember. We saw the beauty of remembrance in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How Christ himself calls us to remember every time you take communion. He tells you to stop, hit the pause button on life and to dwell upon what he has done for you. But in fact, remembrance to what God has done in Christ Jesus, yet with no heart submission to those truths and to Christ himself, is offensive to him. In Matthew, he quotes Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, we know that Christ is not only worthy to be remembered, but worthy to submit our whole lives to him in worship. So God, we're going to go through a bunch of verses here, but God gives these verses to you so that you would bow to his son in humble and glad submission as you worship him. Worship, brothers and sisters, without submission to the truth in which you hear, without submission to the Christ in which you praise, stinks the high heaven of hypocrisy. It is not worship at all. I remember I was talking to a guy and he was in the, he was very much into the uh, Christian music scene. And he was talking about a church and they said, someone said, that church has great worship. They have great worship. And then this guy corrected them and he says, no, they do not. They have great music. They don't have great worship. Because he knew that there was sin there in the lives of those people because he worked with them and that they were not submitted to God. And so you cannot worship without submission to him. And that springs forth from knowing who Christ is, what he has done for you, in his own submission to the Father. Now, there are three very important concepts in submission as you worship Christ. Number one, we have to understand God's definition of submission. If you recall, there is this relationship of remembrance. What that does is when God brings the truth before you, either through preaching or through the word of God or through discipleship or through Bible study or someone singing in song that is singing a truth, when that comes into your mind, the truth grips your heart. You're captivated with Christ again. You remember all that he's done and then you bow the knee. You submit to him in your heart. Which leads to service, which is all worship. So the two terms where submission is often translated as worship in the Old Testament first is the word, we're going to say this together. Let's say it. Let's say another word, okay? Hawa. Can you say that? Oh, no, not hala, man. That's when you get in trouble from your Filipino mom. Allah. No, no. This is Hawa. Can you say that? No, you guys say it again. Hawa. Very good. Okay. Hawa means to bow down, to prostrate yourself before a monarch or a superior. It means to bow down deeply, to do obeisance, to obey. Notice in Psalm chapter 5, let's take a look here. Psalm chapter 5, you'll see the relationship of how, and you'll see these patterns as you move over and over and over and over again. The psalmist does not call you to worship apart from remembering of, of what God has done, either his mighty acts or his glorious person. Notice in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 6. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groanings. Heed the sound of my cry. For help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my prayer. Notice, 
for you are not a God. Now he is reminding himself of the truth about God. He is not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you, verse 4, right? This is how God is like. Let me remind myself by rehearsing these truths about him. He says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Now notice he says this. Continue on. Verse 7. But as for me, because of this truth, notice, here's the pattern again. Because of the truth that God will judge sin. And there I would go were it not for the grace of God, were it not for Christ himself, for me. Look at verse 7. This is what's true about God, but as for me... I am remembering this, what? By your abundant loving kindness, that is his loyal love, his covenant love, his chesed, right? He says, I will enter into your house at your holy temple. Here it is. Notice this. What's it say? I will what? Bow in reverence for you. I will so here's the relationship okay the truth of God is declared you hear it it comes before you this is why it's so important brothers and sisters to be filled with the word of God to have it flash before you to have it sung to you to have someone encourage you over a cup of coffee with the word of God to have to pray with the word of God why because then you are reminded of what God is like what is God like I forgot why because we have spiritual amnesia every day brothers and sisters I have to be reminded of his love. Because when I look in the mirror, I know my sin. I don't deserve to be in front of him. So I got to remind myself with the gospel. And what is this? This is the gospel. His covenant love towards me in Christ Jesus. But he says here what? For your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. Here is the next response. At your holy temple, I will bow. I'm going to bow, God. I'm going to set myself upon your feet. I'm going to prostrate myself in reverence, in fear. Psalm 95. Go to Psalm 95. Over and over and over, you will see this connection. You will be surprised how many times this connection is there. Psalm 95, verse 5, we could start with verse 5. Notice, he is reminding the congregation in this psalm, the sea is his. Now, we know when we go out to the ocean, to the beach, we look at it, and we go, I know you created this. Why are you telling me? You have to be reminded, brothers and sisters. You forget. Sometimes you you feel like you don't have enough resources or you feel like someone is not in control. The sea is his. He controls every wave. Amen. That's why it's so important when Christ was walking on the water. We'll talk about that later, right? For it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land. Verse 6. Here's the response after remembering. Come What does it say? Let us worship and what? Hawa. Bow down. So it's not just the rehearsal of the truth. It's not just the understanding of the truth. It is a bowing down to him. That is the difference, brothers and sisters. We have many of our kids and our youth... They know the truth. They know it. They've been growing up with it. They've heard it Sunday by Sunday. There is a difference between knowing it and rehearsing it and remembering it and bowing to Christ. 
And we as Christians, if you are a believer today, you have to keep reminding yourself and then submitting. It is the only thing that is worthy of this person. Now, he says, that relationship, as one writer puts it, bending over, notice as this posture, this bodily posture, bending over to the Lord represents devotion and submission to him as a pattern of life. Here's a New Testament term, okay? So what's the Old Testament term as we're learning? Sam, what'd you say? Hawa, right? Let's say Hawa, everybody. Hawa. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Our next, next one is, is a pretty cool word. It's called proskuneo. Can you say that? Come on, guys. Proskuneo, right? Proskuneo. So the word, this is, it's an interesting word, okay? Pros meaning two towards or uh, two or towards. You're going towards something, okay? And the word kuneo means to kiss. So I'm kissing. I'm going forward and I'm kissing. It really, in its basic form, it means to kiss or to kiss the feet or the garment or the ground in front or putting your head, your forehead to the ground in front of someone. In the New Testament, veneration of divine or supposedly divine objects expressed concretely with a falling face down in front of someone to worship, to venerate to do obeisance to express by attitude and by position one's allegiance to and regard for deity to prostrate oneself in worship to bow down and worship to fall on your knees and touch the forehead to the ground so with these two terms together and we're going to see this the New Testament examples of that. With these two, two terms together, what submission is, it's this heart attitude of adoration and homage to God, the Father, as King. It's an expression of awe and grateful submission in recogni recognition of his gracious character and rule. And perhaps maybe, brothers and sisters, you might be a weary believer. Maybe you might be fighting the very will of God in an area of your life. And you need to be reminded that he is indeed a gracious shepherd. One that you can say, and here is the essence of submission. If you just remember this, it's, I am yours, do with me what you want. I am yours. Do with me what you want. Now, understand God's definition of submission. And secondly, see God's examples of submission. We're going to take a look at different examples. Uh, and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. Kind of like what we did last week. The text is really about its application. Because we see this pattern everywhere. And I want you guys to see that. Notice in, in these examples, you're going to see nuances and clarifications as, as to how God is worshipped through submission to him. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, you'll see... Remember the resurrection. And they go and then the angel says in verse 7, Go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy to report to his disciples. Watch, watch as, they, as we look at the text. Notice he says... And they ran to report to the disciples. And behold, Jesus, behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Here it is. 
they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. The word there for worshipped is this proskuneo. It is this bending forward. Now they see and they were reminded of what Jesus has said and now they see and are reminded that who he is and now I want you, Lord, to do with me as what you want. Notice he says also, true submission to Christ also values his lordship in this world. Brothers and sisters, as we were talking about worship, there is really two worlds of worship happening right now. And it's really accentuated in the book of Revelation. The two worlds, it's very binary. We're going to say that, right? One worship of the risen Christ and another the worship of the enemy of old, Satan himself. Notice in Revelation chapter 13. Let's go to Revelation 13. Here's the distorted worship. We'll talk about this distorted ungodly, wicked worship. Remember, brothers and sisters, as we talked about last time, that everybody worships something. We are made to worship something. Either you worship another god or you worship yourself and your own decisions or you worship um, your uh, created things and materialism or achievement or the applause of people. Here there is this two great submissions or two great worships in submission that is happening and it's accentuated here. Notice in Revelation 13. 13 and 8 he says here, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. He's talking about the beast of verse 1. Then I saw a beast coming out. All who dwell on earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that has been slain. You notice here, he is making this great demarcation. There are those who worship the beast, and there are those who worship Christ. There are those who worship the things of this world, and there are those who worship Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 15, he says here, in verse 15, and it is given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would not speak and cause us many as do not worship again, the image of the beast to be killed. That word there, proskuneo, the one who bows down. It's not simply just giving and extolling. It is someone who is submitting to the rule of this world, of the beast himself. Revelation 19 tells us of this of the results of this kind of distorted worship. Notice in Revelation 19 and verse 20, he says, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophets who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, those who proskuneo, those who bowed down, those who submitted to his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire with which burns with brimstone. And thankfully, what God has done in Christ Jesus, he has rescued his people to worship him. Brothers and sisters, when we get together, I hope you know that as we sing, we are doing battle. It is a battle cry. Who is going to receive praise? And our worship as a corporate body is actually an extension of what should be happening in our hearts. We have been bought. We have been redeemed. We are going to sing to him forever. We might as well start now. Notice he says in Revelation chapter 4. This is the theme of heaven. This is the preoccupation of heaven. Notice he says here. Revelation chapter 4. In verse 9 he says. And the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever. The 24 elders will fall down. Guess what that is? That is that proskuneo. They hear, they know the truth. It's being rehearsed. They're being reminded and they fall down at 
before who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before him saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why should you receive glory and honor and power? It says because you created all things. There it is. It's instigated. It's initiated again by the truth of God. Look at Revelation 5. Notice in Revelation 5. In verse 11... He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Notice there are those, they just keep singing. They just keep singing. Notice notice it's in the imperfect. They're saying with a loud voice. Saying is in the imperfect means this is the characteristic of heaven. It continues on and on and on. And notice it's with a loud voice. No one's holding back. No one is reserving themselves. No one is saying, you know, I'm I'm just not going to sing today. Today's not a good day for me. Their hearts and their minds are engaged with the truth and it has this response where they are singing in corporate gladness. They're saying, worthy is the Lamb. Why? He was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. By the way, brothers and sisters, He deserves glory forever for this. He deserves to be sung about forever. He deserves our words, our thoughts, our our hearts. He deserves it all. And every created thing which is in heaven and earth, under the earth, on the sea and all things in them. And I heard them saying, notice to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. He is singing all of his power all of his glory, all of his honor, all of his dominion, all of his rule. You rule. We rightfully recognize this. Now, notice what he says. And the four living creature ke- creatures kept saying, Amen. No, so notice there's this praise that's singing forth. He's saying, Worthy art thou. It's, it's still not s- stopping. Worthy art thou, worthy art thou, worthy art thou. And the four living creatures keep saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. They're saying, Yes, we agree. Yes, it is true. Yes, so let it be. And then it says here, as a response, brothers and sisters, the elders, what does it say? They fell down and they worshiped. Proskuneo again. Revelation 7 says, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. And all the angels were standing before the throne around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. This is, this is not this being slain in the spirit and falling backwards. There's no such thing of that in the scriptures. This is a falling forward in understanding who I'm talking to now, who I am worshiping. Notice he says in Revelation 11, and I just, I'll read that for you as well. 16, and the 24 elders who sat on their throne before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Revelation 19 says the same. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. Who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. I think it's great, it's, it's emphasized and it's exemplified in even the life of Christ himself in Philippians, if you go to Philippians with me. Philippians, notice the word submission is not used, but notice this is exactly what he does. He doesn't think about, notice verse 3, 
Paul's exhortation in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. And then he attaches us. This is why, this is what should motivate you. This is why you should be humble and submit to one another. He says here in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Why? You do this because Christ did this. You worship through submission because Christ did this. Brothers and sisters, we are not impressed with, uh, we are not impressed. God is not impressed with how well you sing. He's not impressed with uh, how, how much you cry when you sing or lift up your hands. The, the telltale sign as, as to whether or not you truly did worship is the same with Christ. Is do you submit to the will of God the Father? When you leave the building, is your life changed such that now I am going to live for him? I am submitted to him. And I agree he can do with whatever he wants with me. Notice he says, Jesus himself, he existed in the form of God. We understand this as the, the kenosis, the, the humiliation of Christ. He existed in the form of God, did not regard with equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him in all these things. Brothers and sisters, the Christ Jesus, he did not complain. He did not buck under the pressure. He did not want to say, I don't, want, I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do this. He voluntarily went for you and I. Brothers and sisters, surely, surely if there is any motivation to worship God the Father in Christ Jesus, it is because Christ himself did in submission to the Father for you. And perhaps you come here and you may have told everyone you're a Christian, but you never truly had that heart attitude. I am yours. Do with me with what you want. I am yours. This great God seeks worshipers, brothers and sisters. In fact, he has made you to be a worshiper of him. Make no mistake, every individual worships something. Who or what do you worship? All of you worship something or someone. Who or what do you worship? Things, self, applause, this goes with the very fabric of who we were why were we created. We were created to image forth his glory. You know this, brothers and sisters. To give him praise and worship, not just by the lips, not just by remembering, but in glad submission to his lordship over my life. But we have turned aside, went after our own devices, sought after man's applause our own ambitions or followed other gods. That is called sin. It has divided us from God the Father. But because he loves us and his son submitted himself to the Father, he came, lived the completely holy life that we couldn't live. He died in obedience on the cross for you and I. He was buried and resurrected and the Bible says if we but have faith in him if we trust him and do that first submission that first submission of Lord you are Lord I remember it clearly this was in my life well, I, was, I was in high school and, and I, I knew what it meant to be a Christian it meant I had to bow the knee and I didn't want to bow the knee because that would mean all of my plans and all of my life would go a different direction. But when I saw his beauty and his glory and that he forgave me of my sins and gave me joy, it's truly a joy to allow him lordship in your life. Amen? To receive lordship in your life. So 
understanding submission, and there's examples of submission, now we need to respond to God's call of submission. Now we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to look at a case study of this in Matthew chapter 14. Verses 22 to 33. Notice he says here. 14, 22 to 33. Let me just read it. Before I read it, uh, sometimes you often think of submission in the context of, I want to do something sinful, but wanting, but I want to submit more to God. I have these two competing conflicts in my life. But as you mature in Christ, this is not the case. Maybe it is the case, but as you mature in Christ, more often than not, some of the greatest struggles to submit to Christ is when you are in trial. Isn't that? Is that right? We don't often see that as a submission. We say, man, I got I to gotta struggle through this. I got to persevere through this. This is actually a receiving of what God is doing in your life. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. Matthew chapter 14, he says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out of fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... He became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got up into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly... God's son. I, I, I vouch to say the hardest time to submit to God is not just is not when you want to do something sinful that's you think is fun. I think the hardest time is when you are in trial and you can't fix things. Notice in verses twenty two to twenty three. Submit when you feel alone because you are not. Submit when you feel alone because you are not. Notice he says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Notice this is what Christ tells the disciples to do. Get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Oftentimes, as Christians, sometimes we can't see Christ through the clouds. And when you're going through that problem, that relationship problem, that in the family or outside of the family, when you're going through that problem, that finance problem, when you're going through that problem, that church problem of arguments, when you go through that problems, those problems, those difficulties, that illness, that sickness, sometimes doesn't it feel like you're alone? Like Christ left us. Honey, Christ, Christ is not here for us. Everyone sings about his goodness and his greatness. Hey, he's not here for me. What about me? Oh, saint. I'm here to tell you you're not alone. The little short period of time when you think you don't see him, he's been thinking of you all along. 
Secondly, submit when your problems are big because Christ is bigger. Look at verse 24. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. The word there, it was so bad. He uses this word battered, which is also the word for tortured. The boat was tortured, smacked. Um, I love to go fishing. I love to go fishing on a boat because you catch bigger fish and a lot more fish. But man, when those waves come, uh, Leon's in the Coast Guard. Oh, I just feel like throwing up all the time. I can't handle it, right? And 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 it seems like these problems are big. Christ, these these are big waves in my life, right? It doesn't even seem like you're even paying attention. You ever get there? They just keep coming, man. Have you ever been in a set of waves that there sometimes there are some nice sets of waves that come it takes a while. There's this those light, nice slow one like in Waikiki there's this that's a good beginner place to surf because the, the waves just kind of, they're just slow rollers and then the next one comes and it's another slow roller. But sometimes when you're out, maybe in Tamarack or Ponto, they just boom, 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 boom. And they keep hitting. Do you feel like that's how life is? You feel like, I don't, I don't feel like following Christ anymore. I just feel beat up. Oh, brothers and sisters, Christ is bigger than the waves. He's just teaching you. He's just teaching you to lean on him, to submit when it's difficult. Do you know that? How about this? Verses 25 to 27. Submit when you're scared because Christ is with you. Notice he says, And in the fourth watch of the night he came to him walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it is, is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. And this is the, this is the encouraging words of the Savior. This is all you have to hear. Isn't it? Through the trial. I just need to hear this, Christ. I just need your promises again. I just need to be in your word and be reassured again. I said before, before the wave started coming, I said, God, do anything you want to me. Right? When we got saved, that's what we said. I'll follow you wherever. Right? I'll do with what, whatever you want me to do. But then the waves came. And they beat against the boat. And it's not, and at first you're like, oh, this is okay. And it just keeps going over and over and over and over. I just need to hear that. Take courage. Amen. It's I. Don't be afraid. I, I, I don't know about this new job I'm taking or I don't know about this next deployment I'm getting into or I don't know about this group of people I have to work with or I don't know about this here it is take courage I'm with you in the waves verses 28 and 29 submit when you exercise faith because Christ will empower you notice Peter says Lord if it is you and he's testing right this is Peter Always has foot in mouth disease, right? Always saying stuff, right? Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Because he knew this. If it was really Christ, he knew in that relationship that Christ loved him. He knew he had the power. He saw him do it before. And so Peter, in his first impulse of faith, he says, If it's you, Jesus, I know I could go. And so now he was encouraged. And he goes, and he goes. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. 
So he submits in faith, exercising faith when it's difficult. I can't see. Notice verses 30 to 31. Submit when you have doubts because Christ will wipe them away. Notice in Matthew chapter 14 verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, said, Lord, save me. You notice this. This is interesting. Okay. This is very interesting. Because I know I know I experienced this myself where where there may be a trial and at first I trust in Christ and at first I believe he's going to help me and I get into the trial and I'm experiencing his joy. I'm experiencing and I'm submitting to it. I'm saying, Christ, do as you will. But then it becomes too painful, doesn't it? It gets really hard. And it's this prolonged trial that just doesn't seem to end. And so this is what happened to Peter. He saw Christ in the beginning. He saw him, how he was helping him in the beginning. How he was keeping him afloat. How by his power and by his, and his utilization of that faith, he was saying, I have you, Peter. And Peter himself was walking on water with Christ. And he started this trial very well, right? And we all do, don't we? Oh, I know Christ is going to provide. I know Christ is going to take care of me. I know Christ is going to be with me when I lose my loved one. That's how you think in the beginning. And then as it goes on, this is getting hard. And it just takes this quick, notice it says here, what does he say? He says, Seeing the wind, notice, rather than keeping his eyes on Christ, he looked at the enormity of his problems. Right? And he began to sink. And he yelled out, Lord, save me. Some of you guys brothers and sisters are in prolonged trials it just doesn't seem like it's going to end let me tell you brothers and sisters Christ has it all under control that broken relationship that financial problem that relationship problem in the family he has it all under control Submit when you get through trial because Christ carried you. Look at verse 32. And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. We know that Christ himself controlled the winds and the waves. And in his wise and good sovereignty, he allows the winds and the waves to come into your life, brothers and sisters. Yeah, my life may be like this. But I know the ones who controls the winds and the waves. Do you see that? Now, take a look. Verse thirty-three, and here's this is the whole point where we're what uh, what we're looking at. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "You are certainly God's son." Guess what that word is? That is. Proskuneo again. That is a submitting and understanding you are certainly God's son. Now, notice, this is what they're remembering. You remember Matthew 123, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember Matthew chapter 4, when the uh, when uh, the tempter was tempting Christ, he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. They knew all of these. They were with Christ. They knew what was happening. Notice, remember Matthew chapter 8, when the, uh, when the demons were thrown into the pigs. And they said, what do we have to do with you, son of God? Remember Simon Peter, when uh, Jesus asked him in Matthew 16, he says, well, who do you say I am, Peter? Peter says, thou art the Christ. What? The son of the living God. Matthew chapter 27, later on, on the cross, the centurion 
looking over Jesus and the guard, they say, truly, this was the Son of God. In other words, as Christ displayed his utter mastery over the winds and the waves, they could not help but remember the reason he can do this is because he's the Son of God. They worshipped him. They worshipped him in a stinky fishing boat. Now this is, notice, again, we're not talking about music. We're not talking about drums. We're not talking about electric guitar. It has nothing to do with purple lights. It has nothing to do with fog machines or lasers. It has nothing to do with architecture. It has everything to do with remembering who Christ is and submitting right then and there. It is saying, Jesus, I will, by your power, do anything, anywhere, anytime you ask me to do anything. I am yours, do with me as you want. Christian, do you not know that some of the greatest displays of worship, making much of Christ, is not necessarily in the singing of songs in corporate worship, although that's important, but it is in the glad submission to his will in your suffering. This is worship, brothers and sisters. This is entrusting of yourself to the good and gracious, gracious shepherding of the Savior. Brothers and sisters, it is a sweet aroma when you submit to him in the fire. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Help us to be men and women, youth, young adult, young adults who take the word of God, who remember who Christ is and who bows the knee because you are worthy. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. We praise you and honor you and help us by extension of our lives. Help us to sing this song for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.